continuing the sermon series we started last week, a four-week series entitled Living Into Our Call. And what we're doing in the course of these four weeks is we're focusing on the things that we feel um, are most important for us as a church to be about. Uh, The four things we feel that we are to be about if we are to become the people, both corporately and individually, that God has called us to be. We're looking at the, the church's priorities, in other words. And, and last week we began with a priority of, of discipleship, of, of being a disciple, you know, of following Jesus Christ. And we looked at the story of, of Matthew 4, where Jesus calls some disciples, some fishermen, to follow him. And we began to flesh out what it means to be a disciple. We define being a disciple as somebody who, who joins with Christ, who, who, who joins with Christ, who follows Christ on a life-changing journey uh, with other people. They live this journey for Christ, with Christ, by Christ, and through Christ. Well, today we come to the priority of worship. And there's a lot that can be said about worship. We could spend a whole, just as you could with the other priorities, we could spend a a whole series alone on worship. But we're going to begin just a few minutes on the topic of worship. And we define worship as follows. Worship is a wholehearted response to all that God has done and who he is. Okay? Let me repeat that. Worship is a wholehearted response to all that God has done for us in Christ Jesus and for all that he is. Now, there are several things implied in that statement. Wholehearted means, of course, it involves all of us. Our heart, our mind, our, our emotions, our, our actions, our, um, our, our time, our resources, our, our priority, in other words. And response implies, of course, that it's to be active, not passive. And this wholehearted response is to be stimulated and driven by all that God has done for us and by who he is. So using Romans 12, 1 and 2 and Isaiah 6, uh, let's dig in a little bit. In, in Romans 12, 1, it says this phrase, In view of God's mercy, off your bodies as living sacrifices, this is your spiritual act of worship in view of God's mercy. You know, in a lot of areas of life, uh, our view determines our direction. It determines our result in something. So, for instance, if you're involved with sports, uh, you're always told, keep your eye on the ball if you're playing baseball, or keep your eye on the goal if you're shooting, or keep your eye on the ball if you're trying to hit a golf ball. Our, our view in so many areas of life determine our direction and our results. And and Paul is saying here, in a sense, the same is true spiritually. He says, in view of God's mercy, then live a life of worship. So in other words, the prerequisite to to a life of worship is is mercy. And what is the prerequisite to mercy? It's having done something wrong, right? You don't don't need mercy unless you've done something wrong. So... So I just want to announce that we all, hopefully, I, I, not hopefully, we all in reality have met this prerequisite. We all have fallen short in some area or somewhere in our lives, and we are in need of God's mercy. In Isaiah 6, Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah comes to the same conclusion, uh, the passage that Sonia just read. Isaiah is, gets a glimpse into heaven. The curtain is pulled back for just a few moments. And, and, he, and he, what he gets a glimpse of knocks him to his knees. He sees God himself high and lifted up. He sees these heavenly creatures flying around, singing God's praises. And he's overwhelmed with God's power and beauty and, and blinding light. And listen to his response in verse 5. 
Woe to me, I am ruined. For I'm a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Isaiah sees his need. He feels his need deep in his heart, in his soul. He sees his need for mercy. The prerequisite to worship is mercy. Seeing God for who he is and seeing how we fall short and throwing ourselves at his feet, asking for his mercy, receiving his grace, and worshiping him. Which begs the question, of course, do we see our need for mercy? Our motives are not always pure, nor are our thoughts. Our actions can be, let's be honest, our actions can be self-centered and self-serving. Pride and rebellion is always crouching at the door of our hearts. It's so easy to pursue our own agenda instead of God's. So tempting to try and justify our choices, our actions, our values, instead of trusting in Christ's sacrifice for our justification. So mercy is a prerequisite for worship, and true worship is a wholehearted response to all that God has done for us in Christ and who he is. I like the way Eugene Peterson puts it in the, uh, in the message. He says, Embracing what God has done for you is the best thing you can do for him. You know, sometimes people will say, uh, you're a pastor, you must be really religious. And I say, no, I'm not. I don't like to think of myself as religious. I, I follow Christ. I'm a, I'm a Christian. Let me explain the difference. Religion is focused on what we can do for God, rules and regulations. But Christianity, as I see it in scriptures, is focused on what God has done for us and then living a life of response for that. And what has God done for us? We shouldn't just assume that. Uh, We see uh, uh, a foretaste of it in the passage from Isaiah 6. Isaiah sees a vision of God. He realizes he falls short. He's ruined. He says, I'm a man of unclean lips. And then what happens in verse 6? God takes action on his behalf. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. So what has God done for us? As we go to the New Testament, what has God done for us? God atones for Isaiah's sin here in Isaiah 6. But God has atoned for us for our sin now and forever when we put our trust in Christ, when Christ died for our sins on the cross. So what God has done for us is he's made us right with him. He's atoned for our sins. He's given us the the gift of eternal life. He's given us his great and precious promises. Back to the phrase in Romans 12, where it says, In view of God's mercy... Offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. And in the King James Version, it has a little different spin on the last phrase. Instead of saying, this is your spiritual act of worship, it says, this is our reasonable act of service. Kind of a different phrase, but I, I kind of like it upon further reflection. Our reasonable act of service. Because nothing is more reasonable or logical than worshiping God. I mean, think about it. If God does not exist then worship is insanity. It's illogical. It doesn't make sense. What we're doing here would be foolish, a waste of time. 
But if God exists, then nothing is more logical or reasonable than worshiping Him. Nothing less than all-out worship, a wholehearted response to all that He's done and all that He is would be totally illogical. Blaise Pascal, the 17th century French philosopher, said it this way, There are only two classes of persons who can be called reasonable. Those who serve God with all their hearts because they know Him, and those who seek God with all of their hearts because they do not yet know Him. We are created for worship, for relationship with the living God, our Creator. And yet, sadly, as we look through human history, as we look at the world around us, and we look at our lives at times, so many of us trade that relationship, that purpose, for something or someone else. The prophet Jeremiah says this in chapter 2 about this tragedy. He writes, My people have exchanged their glorious God for worthless idols. The heavens are shocked at such a thing and shrink back in horror and dismay. It's shocking to the creatures in heaven, the angels and the creatures God has created in heaven. It's shocking to them that we would so quickly and easily pursue something other than God himself. It's insanity to them. Maybe this analogy will help. Um, When we exchange worship of God for worship of something else, it's called idolatry. And idolatry is like being offered the best cut of meat from Ruth's Chris Steakhouse with extra butter sauce and, and, and your favorite side and your favorite dessert. You're offered that, but somebody says, no, I have a McDonald's Happy Meal. I'll take that instead. It's in, nobody would do that, right? Nobody in their right mind would choose the McDonald's Happy Meal. Idolatry is settling for a, a cheap imitation, a substitute. It's settling for something less than God's best. It's placing supreme value on something that isn't supreme. C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite quotes, says, We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. You know, I'm sure some of you have seen the, the Born Identity, the Born, Jason Bourne movies. Uh, the first one is The Born Identity. And uh, in the movie, Jason Bourne, the main character, he, he loses his memory. He can't remember who he is, what he's done. And the movie revolves around him trying to discover that. But one statement he makes is, is pretty profound. He says, I'm a reproduced illusion. And to one degree or another, when we, when, we, when we don't operate in life as it's designed, when we don't find our identity in Christ, to one degree or another, all of us are reproduced illusions. The Irish philosopher George Berkeley said, to be is to be perceived. In other words, our perception of ourselves is based on other perception of us. We become, in other words, to a large extent, what other people think we are. We live up to or down to the expectations of others. It's called the looking glass self. But Romans 12, 2 says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. In other words, don't live down to the world's standards. Don't derive your identity 
from others' perceptions, the world's perceptions. Live up to God's standard. Be conformed, transformed by the renewal of your mind. Because God's opinion is the only opinion that counts. And when we base our identity on the opinions of others, in a sense, we're worshiping their opinions. So the bottom line is, Scripture tells us that we become what we worship. Identity problems really are worship problems. And so if we want to become the person God has created us to be, we, we must begin by worshiping God with a wholehearted response to all that He is and all that He has done for us. The message translation of Romans 12, too, says, Fix your attention on God. Which really, in a sense, in a nutshell, is what worship is about. It's fixing our hearts, our minds, our attention on God. I like the way Louis Giglio writes about the topic of worship in his book, The Air We Breathe. He writes, So how do we know what you worship? It's easy. You simply follow the trail of your time, your affection, your money, and your allegiance. He says, at the end of that trail, you'll find a throne. And whatever or whoever is on that throne is what's of highest value to you. On that throne is what you worship. He says, whatever you value most will ultimately determine who you are. If you worship money, you'll become greedy at the core of your heart. If you worship some sinful habit, that same sin will grip your soul and poison your character to death. If you worship stuff, your life will become material, void of eternal significance. If you give all your praise to the God of you, you'll become a disappointing little God to both yourself and to all those who trust in you. Anything less than enthroning God as first and foremost in your life, the Bible says, is idolatry. We are not created to worship anything other than God. We are wired to worship someone so much bigger and so much better than the things we so often settle for. But worship is a wholehearted response to all that God has done and to who He is. And so the question I leave you with this morning is if we are created for worship, who or what do we worship? Who or what is on the throne of your heart? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for the gift of Your Word. We thank You, Lord, for the gift of Your Son, Jesus. We're grateful for all that you have done for us. And we thank you for who you are. Lord, forgive us when we fall short in our words, our actions, our thoughts, our priorities, our attitudes. Lord, forgive us when we, we take something that is created and we turn it into something that becomes an idol. Lord, help us to to worship you as you've designed us to with all our heart with all our soul with all our minds in view of your great mercy for us Lord help us to do so